It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. I hope you had a great weekend, a great Mother's Day. Now we're back in action. We're going to be joined by maybe the next governor of New York, Congressman Lee Zeldin. He's a Republican with a real shot of unseating any Democrat, including the disgraced uh, Governor Cuomo. You know he's uh, he is a member of the American Jewish community. He's also fighting in the military, National Guard, and he's been very successful, impactful uh, lawmaker, as well as a big uh, supporter of Donald Trump. Pretty good combination if you're going to be successful in New York, so we'll see how that goes. He'll be joining us talking about maybe a leadership change with the GOP, and we'll be taking your calls as well. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. As conference chair, you have one of the most critical jobs of the messenger of going forward. That's why we need a conference that's united. Do you support Elise Stefanik for that job? Yes, I do. Wow, uh, that is pretty big news uh, from last night, and that is uh, yesterday morning from Maria Bartiromo's show. Leadership change for the GOP. Cheney's actions uh, leave Leader McCarthy little choice but to vote to oust the conservative critic of Trump as Dems fake sadness. We will talk about the state of the party and the agenda they are determined to pursue. Meanwhile, the Facebook oversight chair opens up on the future of Donald Trump on the platform. Number two. On infrastructure, he has made it clear. If we can find something that actually spends money on infrastructure, Mm -hmm. roads and bridges, imagine that, we can cut a deal. I don't think Mitch or any Republican is for the $7 trillion in spending the administration has proposed for this year alone. Yeah, and they're looking for another 2.4 D-Day week for the latest spending bill from President Biden's money printing press. He will be spending $660 billion on infrastructure. The Republicans would agree to that. But he wants $2.4 trillion, and it's full of Democratic agenda items. We're going to look at what it means for the economy in light of the terrible jobs report Friday. Number one. I think we're at the point in time when we can start lifting these ordinances in a wholesale fashion, and people have to take precautions based on their individual risk. They have to judge their own individual risk and decide whether or not they're going to avoid crowds or wear masks based on their circumstances. Yeah, right. Uh, Dr. Scott Gottlieb always makes sense. Let him go. Let's go of the restrictions for the vaccinated Americans with antibodies and give Americans the confidence to go back to work and school or get vaccinated themselves. For those not vaccinated, play at your own risk. I'm not judging you, but the restrictions must go. The medical community weighs in and Anthony Fauci offers more ridiculous uh, predictions. So what we're talking about today is walking outside without a mask works. If you're vaccinated, OK, if you're not vaccinated, take your own chances. That's my feeling. Indoors, time to open up. Time to let people walk around indoors. I'm looking at a sold-out AT&T arena over the weekend. I'm looking at Jacksonville UFC event, 13,000. There is no surge afterwards. We had the mask mandate. They saw that said it was Neanderthal thinking. Lifted in Texas. Lifted in so many states. It's not surging anywhere. The numbers are going down. We're down to 43,000 cases nationwide. And the blue states doing worse than the red states. You have people cowering in the corner or other people afraid to get a vaccine because you're mixed messaging. It is chaotic defined. So, what do I mean by starting letting us live again? Listen to Dr. Scott Gottlieb, cut one. 
I think we're at the point in time when we can start lifting these ordinances in a wholesale fashion, and people have to take precautions based on their individual risk. They have to judge their own individual risk and decide whether or not they're going to avoid crowds or wear masks based on their circumstances. Right. Can we do that? Yes. Now, they're mandating it at colleges. They're mandating it in certain arenas. Okay, there's sections there. I'm not going to tell you what to do with the vaccine. I chose to get it. If you ask me, I'll tell you. But find out, do the research, learn that this technology has been around for a while, learn that this was, if you voted for President Trump, this is President Trump's vaccine. If you voted for President Biden, he took the vaccine and is now accelerating it through the country, doing a pretty good job at it. I would love if he really wanted everyone to be vaccinated, he would take off that mask as he walks around outside. He would not snap at people that say, why are you wearing two masks outside with vac- or inside with vaccinated reporters? He said to keep you safe. I don't need to be kept safe from the president of the United States because he can't spread it. It's virtually impossible. Better chance of getting in a car accident, a plane crash. Not going to happen. If it does happen, you defied all types of odds and percentages. Here he is talking about the need to get the message out that a vaccine would change your life. Cut three. If you've been vaccinated with the mRNA vaccines or the J&J vaccine, your risk is very low from having a bad COVID outcome. And your risk of getting an asymptomatic infection that you could spread to others is also substantially reduced. The data now does support that. So we could start drawing some firm conclusions and basing our public health advice on that. You know, there's one model that's out that says that if you're, you were 65 and above, your risk of succumbing to COVID, if you were infected with it, was around 1 in 100 during the peak of the infection and probably a little worse than that at the outset. That same model now predicts it's about 1 in 20,000 if you've been fully vaccinated and you're an immunocompetent person. So the risk is substantially reduced from vaccination, and I think you can sort of conclude that probably your risk from COVID if you're fully vaccinated is comparable, maybe even less than your risk from flu if you're fully vaccinated in older individuals. And here's the problem. You're using this word. I actually have to play this for you because it's so... I want you to feel what I feel, and that's the absolute rage from this. There's this guy named Jeffrey Yates, uh, Zeitz. He is from the White House COVID-19 response coordinator. He's, you know, look, uh, in terms of vaccine coordination, now anyone can get it. It's going to drop to 16, I think, sometime this week. Uh, they're going to give um, the fast track. CDC OK is going to turn into a permanent CDC OK with Moderna and Pfizer. And we're about to we could easily get online with AstraZeneca. And there's another one coming out in Johnson and Johnson, too. If it wasn't for the manufacturing problem in Baltimore, which is not a reflection on either president. Uh, there would be we'd be doing we're doing better than anybody else in the world. No question. Here is Jeffrey Zeitz getting a question from Jake Tapper, who you can't blame Donald Trump anymore. Right. You can't say I don't trust anything. You're saying I'm looking at the what the CDC is saying. I'm seeing the reality, and then I'm watching the president. It doesn't make any sense. Cut six. Is it really necessary for a fully vaccinated person to wear a mask at a limited indoor gathering if everyone there is vaccinated? Well, the CDC has given guidance that when you're with family and friends that are vaccinated in small groups, you don't need a mask. So why does President Biden, in a room full of vaccinated journalists... Look, With everybody in that room vaccinated, why does he need to wear a mask? The president is going to continue to follow the CDC guidance. If he was, he wouldn't do it. He uses later on in the interview the word privilege. You'll get your privileges back. Who are you to tell me 
that I have a privilege of going out to eat, eating indoors, walking around with a mask, without a mask. What do you mean privilege? We're past the point of knowledge. Now, everyone can get a vaccine that wants a vaccine. If they're not going to get it, take their own risk. If they're going to get it, show me that things are going back to normal. So meanwhile, if you want to know, the, not only is he going against the CDC guidelines, we wonder where are these CDC guidelines coming from? I mean, these people are contradicting themselves, walking things back. And then we find out the CDC is conferring with the second largest teachers unions in the country to come up with policies that allows these kids to stay home and still go under CDC guidelines in Chicago and California and in New York, right? New York City. So Chris Christie is sitting on the ABC panel wondering why people don't understand this is the biggest story of the week. Got eight. We saw this this past week that the, the CDC <laughs> set out a plan to send kids back to school based on science. And until Randy Weingarten and her team sent in the emails to the CDC, and then all of a sudden that policy changed. And now we still have less than half of the kids back to school in classrooms around this country um, because the teachers union does not want their members to have to go back into the classrooms even after they're vaccinated. Is that unbelievable? So that story, Chris Christie had to bring to the table. It never made a talking point on any Sunday show. I watched each and every one of them. one 408 So I believe they're going to get a deal done on infrastructure. Why? Well, this is going to be a big week, and it's going to compromise, and you need 60 votes to get it. On taxes, they're going to come up with some type of reconciliation thing. I don't see that passing. I think Joe Manchin's really on the record of saying I'm only going to accept uh, a corporate tax increase up to 25 is the most. We're at 21 now. What people should understand is it's not corporations against us. It's corporations, American corporations against other corporations. So if you keep that rate too high, American companies are not going to come back here. They're not going to stay here. They're going to go where the taxes are less in order to get more money to grow their company more for the shareholders and for the company to profit and expand. That's just that's the way it works. Unless, of course, we change that calculus uh, in this new woke society that we're in. So in terms of uh, infrastructure, I see a deal coming. And I see a deal coming for a few reasons. That jobs report was horrendous. They're trying to sell us that the infrastructure of $2.4 trillion is a jobs. It's not a job sport. If there is jobs coming, it's not going to be right away. You've got to map out and engineer tunnels and bridges and roads. I mean, it's going to take time to get this up, especially with these new environmental regulations where they say you can't make a road here because of a frog or a praying mantis. So these things are going to take time. It's not jobs. It's long-term investment into our uh, future. And Jonathan Swan knows that. So I believe that something's going to happen because you don't have 60 votes. And when the Republicans come to the table and say, I'll give you $660 billion, and Mitch McConnell says, I've been saying okay with that, I think they're going to come down. So they can. there's nothing wrong with Joe Biden showing compromise. I think it makes his party look better. Here's Senator Bill Cassidy, Cut 21. Do you feel as if you can cut a deal if you guys come to an agreement on an infrastructure plan that leadership will support you in this? Absolutely. And I can give an example. On the Asian hate crime bill, Mitch came to our conference and said, Let's we don't like the way the bill starts off, but we can work with Democrats and get to a better place. On infrastructure, he has made it clear. If we can find something that actually spends money on infrastructure, mm -hmm. roads and bridges, imagine that, as opposed to what the Biden plan does, which is spends a trillion dollars on things which have no relationship to infrastructure, we can cut a deal. 
I don't think Mitch or any Republican is for the $7 trillion in spending the administ administration has proposed for this year alone. I think that's the, the thrust of his comments. And that's why Bill Cassidy, he, he's handled it perfectly. He, he took the questions about President Trump on January 6th. I voted impeached because I saw what was out there. I saw the president's speech, and that's what I think, okay? I don't agree with that, but he does. He didn't go out and kill the president. He said, I like what he did over the last four years. I want that agenda. I look at this agenda, it's scary. But I think the president was wrong on January 6th. If Liz Cheney wanted to stay in leadership, she would have done that. And I'm a fan of hers. I think she's strong, smart, and truly conservative. Voted with the president 93% of the time. But on January 6th, the rubber hit the road for her. That's where I, why when we come back, I'll talk more about this. There'll be a leadership change there, and I don't think she minds. I think she's thinking about 2028. We're also going to talk about the Joe Biden agenda, the horrible jobs report, and also, the social media, they just did a study out. 60% of you think social media divides our country. About 30% says it does not. What do you think on that? I'll take your calls. 1-866-408-7669. Hope you had a great weekend. We're back in action now on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I also like Liz Cheney. Um, and I think Liz is smart and tough. But I think Liz is doing what she wants to do. I don't think Liz wants to be in leadership anymore. Because once she won the vote earlier, she continued to press this issue publicly in a way that was antagonizing the people who were against her. And I think you don't have an entitlement to be in leadership, but you do have an entitlement to be in Congress. So that's just it. Uh, there are a lot of people that disagree with the president on certain things, but to get on the same page for the collective good, they go along. Now, you may not like that. Now, if you listen to these Democratic shows, which almost everyone outside uh, Chris Wallace and Maria Bartiroma have, uh, Chris will go on both sides and, ta and, and hit them hard. But you just hear they kept saying, well— they want everyone to agree with the big lie. No, no. What they're saying is the president doesn't believe it was on, the election was on the up and up. They believe something was. They believe something was wrong. Most importantly, these people believe in his agenda, and nobody wanted to broaden that out. Chris Christie is like an island on these shows, and he's so strong, no one cares. 
Yesterday, they lined up four people, including George Stephanopoulos, against him, and he still wiped the floor with him. So it looks like Liz Cheney will be out. I don't think she's upset. I think she's thinking about 2028 long term. Uh, here is, and it looks like uh, Elise Stefanik will be there. And it's a good point. Elise Stefanik only voted for the pre- with the president 74% of the time, was critical of the president, did not vote for his tax plan, did not want the wall, but has come around to really win the president over because he watched how she fought when she thought he was being unjustly impeached with that whole Ukraine scandal put forward by uh, Rudy Giuliani. Here is Congressman Kevin McCarthy taking the mystery out of it. Cut 22. As conference chair, you have one of the most critical jobs of the messenger of going forward. Are we talking about what the Democrats are doing on the border? Are we talking about all the missed jobs report that we just had? Are we building an economy? Are we watching Joe Biden create inflation that we've never seen before, a takeover of government, the rising of taxes, the damage of what will be done that we cannot come back for? That's why we need a conference that's united. That's why we need a conference chair that is delivering that message day in and day out and uniting the nation to make sure that we are on the right footing going forward. Do you support Elise Stefanik for that job? Yes, I do. So there goes the mystery out of it. Everything I said is true. The other thing is, which proves my point, it's not a matter of saying fealty to the president on on January 6th. I don't think the president, no one's shown me any proof that this election was stolen. Was it way too loose because of the pandemic? Yes. Would If there was no pandemic, the president would have won in a walk. I'm not even sure that Joe Biden would have got the nomination, right? I don't know what they would have done. Put Bernie Sanders up there as a sacrificial lamb, the Dukakis of his day. But there was, and because of that, they had, uh, it was the perfect storm against the president, who still did great, uh, considering he got 74 million votes despite all the controversy and all the negative press uh, over the four years that he was in office. That's how they'll categorize it. But what he accomplished in the tone he said was important. If he was a little bit more disciplined, that might have been the difference, but it wasn't. And he still got enough, uh, enough, I believe, popularity and support from among Republicans to run again if he decides to. But James Clyburn, just a ridiculous statement, cut 25. I don't agree with Liz on much politically, uh, but, you know, that's how we grow as a country. This whole thing that everybody ought to be marching in lockstep, that is what leads people to destruction. My parents were Republicans, and I would love to see this party honor them. But this party, Republican Party today, is showing so much dishonor uh, to the people who made it possible, the people who down from Abraham Lincoln kept this party alive on the basis of anti-slavery, which itself was a big lie, and now they're perpetuating it. Now, they talk a lot about cancel culture. This is... Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The classic cancel culture. Well, I don't think she's really being canceled. I mean, she had a she got a vote of and she got a vote of support a month ago. 
But then she doubled and tripled down. And when you're trying to win the midterms, they made a move. But they're not kicking her out of the party. They're kicking her out of leadership. James Clyburn brings up a good point, and I'll go historically where he's wrong. Of course, every African-American would be Republican because it was Republicans the first time they had a president in there. They just formed. His name was Abraham Lincoln. Half the country leaves. He was able to put it back together, not after 400,000 lose their lives. But when James Fremont came out and said, I'm for freeing the slaves and having an emancipation move right away when the war first started, guess what? The president relieved him of his duties because he wasn't ready yet to have the Emancipation Proclamation put out because the country wasn't ready yet. Was that cancel culture? No. It's practical politics. There is no country if he went too soon with it. Wish it was a different story, but those are the facts. And people should point out what James Clyburn just pointed out. That African-Americans, minorities, thrive under Republicans. Somehow that got reversed in the 60s. Republicans should work to get it back. Special thanks to WCED 12, 1410, 1420 AM in Du Bois, Pennsylvania, for joining us today. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. This is who Andrew Cuomo is. He is cutthroat. He is petty. He is a TV tough guy. He's more suited to be the, the villain in a spaghetti western than the governor of a state. And when you hear someone like, like this Larry Schwartz, the staffer, was giving access to vaccines in exchange for loyalty, people in the, around the country have to realize that this is the type of thing that would have got you promoted in the Andrew Cuomo administration. So New Yorkers aren't surprised. They've been dealing with this for quite a while. And I think the biggest problem Andrew Cuomo has going for him right now is that his staff knows he's guilty of so much he's accused of. Uh, the attorney general knows he's guilty of so much he's accused of. And now, finally, the people of this state are realizing he's guilty of so much he's been accused of. And that's part of the reason why Congressman Lee Zeldin is running. If Cuomo does run, uh, people are, have, expo- have been exposed to nine accusers, a massive investigation on the cover-up of nursing homes, how he used staff, perhaps, accused of using staff to get his book out. Uh, during work time, which is an ethic violation of any uh, of huge proportion. And now they're looking into this guy, Larry Schwartz, calling around to different county executives saying, you better stand by the president. That's the insinuation. Uh, Stand by the governor, I should say. Or maybe it's going to affect how much vaccine you get when it looked like it was going to be rare. Congressman Lee Zeldin joins us now. He's with the House Financial Services Committee, Foreign Affairs as well, uh, and running for governor. Congressman, welcome back. What is your take on the latest revelation about this vaccine used as leverage? I mean, just the hits keep on coming. And every time there's a new allegation against Andrew Cuomo, uh, New Yorkers are getting more of their freedoms back, interestingly enough, not by coincidence. Uh, now they're talking about fully reopening the state. Uh, there are investigations going on at every level of government for all different kinds of things. We have heard about this uh, reporting where Larry Schwartz was calling around to county executives, Republicans, Democrats. Uh, and this is an M.O. of how Andrew Cuomo has operated throughout his time in office. The, the bullying, intimidation, harassment, abuse is, isn't something new to the last few months or the last year. I mean, this is not only his reputation since the beginning of his time as governor. This was his reputation when his father was the governor. But now all the chickens are coming home to roost, and many New Yorkers who didn't realize that earlier are realizing it now. National News, Times Square. 
Uh, three shots ring out. Among the people hit, a two-year-old, a young girl uh, as well. People, thankfully, survived. Two brothers. CD peddlers. I, I run into these guys all the time, trying to hand me CDs on the street and then charge me for them. I mean, they're harassing people right now. The mayors let it go. They defunded the police. They demoralized the police. They got rid of qualified immunity. And now they can't get people to fill up an academy. They got rid of the anti-crime unit. This is a perfect storm. And you have the governor criticizing the mayor and the mayor criticizing the governor. Guess who the losers are? Anyone in the vicinity. How have they been able to get away with this? They have up until now, but what we're seeing is the number two issue in the New York City mayoral primary for Democrats is public safety. Many are expecting it to become the number one issue for voters by the time we get to June. So if defund the police was an election issue a year ago, it is an issue now, and that's amongst the Democrats. They're upset about rising violence in their neighborhood. They're upset about the defund the police movement, not supporting law enforcement enough. The cashless bail law out of Albany. We just had a bunch of synagogues get vandalized in the Bronx. I had a press conference with Dove Hyken, the state, uh, uh, the former state assemblyman, Democrat, Curtis Lewa from the Guardian Angels. And my point that I made there is that these people are committing these crimes not because they feel like they're just going to be able to get away with it without getting caught. It's that they, even if they get caught, that they're going to be able to walk free. Now, over the course of this weekend on Saturday. I was in Ithaca, New York, and there the police department uh, and there were a number of officials from the Ithaca PD there. And we were talking about how they had an NYPD cop killer on the task force to reimagine the Ithaca PD. News has just come out where they are renaming the SWAT team and taking away weapons. Can you imagine a, a SWAT unit that isn't allowed to have firearms with them? Uh, so I think it's, I mean, they might have gotten away with it up to now, but it's backfiring big time. Well, are they going to be able to see it? Because these, these towns have control of their, their own units, and they usually control their own, as we, as we see sometimes on Long Island. And Ithaca basically wants to defund the police publicly. Who's going to send their kid to Cornell or Ithaca College, even though those are two great schools, if they can't be kept safe? Exactly. And, and I, was, I was with my... Uh, wife and daughters. My girls are 14 years old. And while we were in Ithaca, we saw Cornell uh, as we we're driving to our event. And that is a consideration that so many other parents are going to have. People are looking at states like Florida and they're seeing their dollar go further. People feel safer. They seem to be living life freer. Some are hitting their breaking points and fleeing. Others are still here. And they're saying to themselves, why can't we have that here? We can have that here. We should be talking about a surplus in Albany as opposed to new tax increases like right now a 55-cent gas tax hike that they're talking about. They're talking about a propane, home heating oil, and natural gas increase. They just keep on making the burden on New Yorkers higher. But the public safety piece is one. This isn't red on blue. This isn't Republican on Democrat. It's about all New Yorkers. They all get it. And I feel like 2022 is going to be an opportunity, not just around the country, to find balance for our federal government. But here in New York, especially, this is the first time in my lifetime that we're going into a midterm, not just with a Democrat in the White House, but with all Democratic control. 
New York City, Albany, and D.C. It's never happened before. So, by the way, we're national, and, and not only does this story resonate in New York, in, in Chicago, too, they're condemning the police. Uh, even though the gun violence is so out of control, the police basically have no go zones because they're not backed and um, they don't have the force. And the other thing to bring up, too, in Minneapolis, uh, in the uh, in the county in which uh, that young man was shot because the woman mistaked it for a taser, they're going to take away the guns for people who get pulled over for cops, uh, for highway cops. When they pull people over, they don't want them to have weapons. Good luck with that. I'm not pulling one person over if I'm a cop. Because guess what? A lot of times the people that I pull over, they might have a weapon. The other big story is schools and the curriculum. And I'm so happy people are getting fed up, Democrats and Republicans, about what these kids are being taught in school, to apologize if they're white. Uh, This white fragility uses curriculum, 1619 uses their history classes. This guy, I want you to hear Andrew Gutman. He's a financier who's 12-year-old. He's pulling out of Beardsley School, which is a one-way ticket to the Ivy Leagues because he can't stand the curriculum. And now he is taking action. Cut 53. You know, I wrote uh, yesterday, which was in the New York Post, we need parents to speak up. I think we're at the very, very beginning stages of this. This is a huge fight, but we need people to speak up. But it's hard because there's this pervasive fear of speaking up on this issue, this cancel culture. And until we sort of solve the cancel culture issue, uh, we're not going to solve the education issue, this critical race theory. So we need some uh, CEOs, business leaders to not cower to the social media mob. We need some courageous ones to speak up and say, look, we're not going to cancel our employees for speaking up for their kids' education. And he's starting with the schools, and he might be starting his own school uh, in Manhattan. So people listening around the country, is this backlash big enough to matter? Well, it, it is as more people become educated on what's going on and what critical race theory is, and they do work up the courage to speak up against it. We send our kids to school to learn not to be indoctrinated. And when you hear something like uh, if you have a Southern accent, a, a, a British accent or an Australian accent, that somehow that's microaggression, uh, or you're looking at a math equation as racist, uh, it, it is wild. We we saw it in the higher education with the brainwashing going on there. You could write structurally the same exact essay, uh, you know, the same perfect uh, wording, no no further proofreading needed. But if you take a, a liberal position in your essay, you can get an A. But if you're taking the conservative viewpoint, the professor is giving you a B. This isn't some hypothetical about the future. Uh, this is actually what's happening on college campuses all over the place. Where I am on Long Island, the State University of New York uh, in Stony Brook hired somebody who was always protesting in front of my office, was paid by a Democratic super PAC to teach a class on the resistance during the last administration. I mean, can you imagine right now a conservative walking into a State University of New York office, pitching an idea for a class to impeach, oppose resist and obstruct the Biden administration, you get laughed out of the class, but actually your tax dollars go to pay for it. So inside grade school, inside higher ed, we have to push back on indoctrination and brainwashing. We want our kids to think critically, think independently, uh, and, and just get a quality education and be challenged. And that's it. This isn't a place to try to groom further you know, far left woke Democratic activists. Well, by the way, that's just an agenda. It's not happening by mistake. It's the way to make sure this country stays uh, leftist and woke and becomes a uh, and becomes a doormat for the Russians, for the Chinese, 
or anybody else and let, let the Europeans catch up to us. Last question. You're on the Foreign Affairs Committee. You've got great respect in that area. And now we find out a Russian outlaw group has brought to its knees the largest pipeline in America that's going to affect the entire East Coast. It's going to affect gas prices by the end of the week. There is no outlaw group in Russia that's allowed to exist without Vladimir Putin's acknowledgement and, and uh, approval. How long are we going to pretend we're not a superpower, that we don't have superior cyber technology? The only thing he's going to understand if we blink the lights over there. That's it. We can't warn him. We can't kick out a diplomat or an ambassador. What do you think is the right response to this? The best defense for cyber is a good cyber offense. Uh, And while there are many aspects of uh, ensuring that government, business, our infrastructure, individuals all have the strongest capabilities to have a good defense, we need to be able to punch back. And now in the military, for every one bullet fired at you, you fire three back. And, and here, with, when you were talking about cyber warfare, when we get punched in the face, we should be firing back three times as hard. And that should be the deterrent. Our adversaries do not respect weakness. They only respect strength. Sometimes the best way to avoid war and conflict uh, is to be strong and to speak up. So it's not about being silent uh, and, and pandering and coward and be weakness. We are the greatest nation in the history of the world. There's nothing to apologize about it. And the Biden administration needs to get smarter on the cyber defense and needs to get stronger on the cyber offense. Right. And we got to find a way to work with private industry to provide support because this is a privately held company, provide cyber support, just like Sony was hacked by the North Koreans because in like a movie, you wonder what the federal government's role is. That's what you guys got to work out because there's no time left. And remember uh, what Solar Winds did, they evidently are nestled in our entire infrastructure. Is the Hoover Dam next? Lastly, Elise Stefanik, according to Kevin McCarthy, uh, will be taking over for Liz Cheney when she gets voted down. Will you vote to oust Liz Cheney? And are you in support of uh, fellow New York Congresswoman Elise Stefanik? Uh, Yes to both. And uh, I think it's important for there to be a change and strength and unity. When we look at what happened in November 2020 and we we look forward – it's not about taking the 75 million voters uh, for Donald Trump and resetting it down to you know, 50 or 60 or 42 and then growing the party from there. We should be growing the party from that 75 million number. Uh, and that's where we need to be going forward. And it, there's a great opportunity for us here to be strong and united, not fighting amongst ourselves. The Democrats can waste time waste money, fight amongst themselves, throw sand in their own engine and make mistakes and actually still win some races. Republicans have to view 2022 as not being able to do any of that. So let's move forward stronger with new leadership. So that you look like you voted to keep her last time? I did not. Okay, so this would be your second no vote to Liz Cheney. Even though she's conservative, she voted with Donald Trump 93% of the time. Listen, uh, it is about when you are the conference chair – you're not executing your own play calls. You're executing the conference's play calls. And there's a lot of people who didn't have a problem with her vote on impeachment as much as the way that she went about doing it uh, and putting out that, you know, that statement that would get quoted on the House floor during the impeachment debate or on the Senate floor during the Senate impeachment trial. The, the tactics, the way that it was approached really upset the conference. 
she was given a second chance, another lease on life as the conference chair. And by the way, she's not getting kicked out of the conference. It's just the position of conference chair should be held by somebody who's looking at them themselves as part of a conference and leading the conference and representing the will of the conference. Uh, unfortunately, some in the media you know, on CNN might have some other narrative about what this is all about. And unfortunately, while that pl- might play well to their audience, they're actually dumbing down their audience. Uh, this is about something bigger, different, and more complex than how, you know, say CNN went, might try to spin it. Got it. Uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin, a busy guy, still a sitting congressman and trying to be the next governor of New York. Thanks, Lee. You got it. Take care. one 408 7669 I'll take your calls next. You'll listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks for being here. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. So I did a little research. The federal bump up uh, of $600 a week that exists through November (laughs) works out to an annual of $31,200. In in New York, if you look at the existing payments, New York, California, and Illinois, think about this. You're getting paid tax-free $57,408, so New York will actually on the first $10,000, at an annual rate in California, and 55592 in Illinois. Why work if you can get that kind of money and stay home and Netflix? So that's just it, and I'm not even blaming anybody. Why work? Because we did not need the extra trillion dollars that President Biden insisted on getting because he first got into office and said the pandemic has never been worse, which it was better. The $900 billion was more than enough in December. And then he puts the $1.4 trillion. Inflation goes up. Products are going up. Uh, lumber, milk, eggs, uh, gas. Everything is going up substantially, and you have to tie it back to the money we put into our system, but we've overcompensated. That's why so many states, Arizona in June, Montana right away, Rhode Island's considering giving it back, saying, I can't give my people so much money. I can't get them to work because I can't get restaurants. I can't get sporting goods stores open because they can't hire anybody. And let's go going to be high school and college kids. And there's a, there's a good side to that. But the bad side is they're going to go back to school. We want to get our economy going again. So for those people who are clear thinking, being honest and not playing politics, they would know this is stuff that we can't afford. By the way, quick note, uh, special thanks to WCED, 1420 a.m. in Du Bois, Pennsylvania, airing our shows for two hours every single day. Uh, Connect FM, your local, uh, your only local news radio. We're privileged to be on their station. So I just want to say welcome aboard. But we're talking about the economy. Here's what the Commerce Secretary said. Cut 12. This is regional, and it's appropriate that governors in different regions would respond to what's going on in their regional labor market. But if you look nationally, wages aren't going up. People are still telling us the number one reason they're not going back to work is is fear due to the virus. And more people were looking for work last month than the month before. Okay, a couple of things. Yeah, there's some people fearful. A lot has to do with you and the double mask and triple mask of a vaccinated president who keeps saying we might have a cookout July 4th. That's fear. The other thing is a lot of people say to themselves, why would I go back to work? I'm getting paid more. I'll just blame it on the coronavirus. It's not me. 
And it's not a lot of governors. We got to get back to work as a country. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Jonathan Swan, we always love him from Axios, will be here talking about his interview with Bernie Sanders. Also, the inside story on the chance of infrastructure being passed and a compromise being done. Marnie and company will simulcast this show on FBM. We come to you from New York. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Michael Goodwin will be coming here shortly. Talking about a national story that happened here. Saturday, there was shooting. Two brothers reportedly shooting at each other for some stupid reason. Uh, what could possibly be a good reason to shoot in the middle of Times Square? You hit three people, including a, uh, a kid who's uh, t- three years old. A cop scoops her up, runs full speed to an ambulance. Thankfully, everybody's okay. A little bit later on Saturday, someone stabbed in the chest with a... Uh, with a screwdriver for riding the subway in Chamber Street, 7.50 at night. Not a bad area. What's going on here? Another shooting going on. All-time rate. Homicides are up. Shootings are up. And yet you want tourists to come back here, and you want to defund and get immunity away from cops. The terrible combination by horrible leadership, and I'm hopeful straight uh, uh, even-minded people will see past party and we'll try to get to normalcy around this country. Michael Goodwin on that shortly. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. As conference chair, you have one of the most critical jobs of the messenger of going forward. That's why we need a conference that's united. Do you support Elise Stefanik for that job? Yes, I do. Leadership change for the GOP. Cheney's actions leave Leader McCarthy little choice. We're going to talk about the state of the party and the agenda of the Republicans. Meanwhile, Facebook Oversight Committee uh, chair opens up on the future of Trump on the platform. Number two. On infrastructure, he has made it clear. If we can find something that actually spends money on infrastructure, Mm -hmm. roads and bridges, imagine that, we can cut a deal. I don't think Mitch or any Republican is for the $7 trillion in spending the administration has proposed for this year alone. D-Day week for the latest spending bill from President Biden's money printing press. He'll be spending $660 billion if he wants Republicans to to be on board. He wants actually $2.4 trillion. Will there be a compromise? Is human infra- infrastructure a real thing? And we're going to look at what's happening with the economy as we add a fraction of the jobs we should have last month. Number one. I think we're at the point in time when we could start lifting these ordinances in a wholesale fashion, and people have to take precautions based on their individual risk. They have to judge their own individual risk and decide whether or not they're going to avoid crowds or wear masks based on their circumstances. Uh, let them go. Let's let's go of all the restrictions for the vaccinated Americans with antibodies as well. Give Americans the confidence to go back to work and school. And for those who don't want a vaccine, okay, take your own risk. It's up to you. Uh, I will not judge you or tell you what to do. I will just tell you I did. Get a vaccine. The medical community weighs in, and Anthony Fauci offers more ridiculous predictions. Uh, With me right now, uh, we're from New York, and so is Michael Goodwin, New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor. Michael, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. Thank you. Uh, No problem. Uh, First off, on the chance of an infrastructure deal, I might be an outlier, but I get the sense that Joe Biden knows there's nowhere to go here. Republicans are willing to play ball. I think they get something done. Do you? 
You know, I'd like to think that, but I'm not convinced yet that uh, Biden has control over his own party. Uh, you, you, you just got the sense that this is kind of a, a, a government by committee and that everybody is funneling their ideas in. And rather than say no to anybody in the party, Biden or Ron Klain or Kamala Harris, who's ever actually running these things, uh, just says yes to everybody. That's the way to keep peace in the Democratic Party right now. And because you don't have a strong leader, uh, you get many people who are valuable. And then, of course, with the narrow majorities in Congress, that situation is amplified. So I think it's a very tough thing for Biden to say we're going to re uh, rely on Republican votes for any of his big measures. It may come to that, but I don't think he's going to reach that point easily. Even though that may be his own instincts, I think the party is too divided and, as I say, the majorities are too small uh, to, to give it up yet. But they are not giving up on the supplemental insurance that's driving down jobs. I could not believe the Commerce Secretary, with a straight face, uh, was on every channel saying has nothing to, benefits have nothing to do with the reason why people don't work. Cut 11. Is there any discussion within the administration about t tweaking that or doing anything to remove that as a, as a barrier to, to jobs? Obviously, we are monitoring that, but at this point, there's nothing in the data which would suggest that that's the reason people are out of work. That is uh, not, you know that's not true. Everything in the data shows that that's the reason people aren't out of work. Sure, some people are scared. Okay, so also some people making it up that they're scared because they love their new life where they wear sandals all day. But everybody, I mean, logic tells you that's the reason. But she actually wants us to buy that. That was the buzz from the Biden administration. Is she serious? Well, uh, if she is, she's making a serious mistake because I think that, I mean, you, you, if you read all of the coverage, Brian, over the Friday low jobs report, uh, everybody, even the New York Times, acknowledged that, that this is fueling the debate, meaning there are lots of people who believe this. And then for the New York Times even to give that any credence means they know there's something to it. Uh, because they would prefer just to defend the Biden administration's yeah, program. absolutely. But, but the problem for Biden, again, in this one, is that if you say we are being too rich with our benefit packages, then you get the socialist wing of the party, the ascendant left, saying, no, 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 what are you, a capitalist pig? I mean, what do you want people to work until they die? I mean, they're going to throw out all of those uh, attacks on him. So, again, he's trapped by his own party. He's not free, just as with Fauci and the mask issue. All of those things, they are not free to be honest and, and to follow what works and what doesn't. I mean, again, this is how they came into office. Look what they did with immigration. Because Donald Trump fixed it, they had to break it. And now they deny it. Uh, so it, I think we're just seeing this chaotic administration, which is hamstrung by its own uh, 
liberal, 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 they're not liberals, the, the sort of far, far left wing that won't let it do anything that makes sense. Right. It has to be revolutionary every waking moment or there's going to be a revolution within the party. I mean, this Joe Biden is not a leader. He is following uh, the, the far left of his own party, and that's what's leading him into all these problems. I would think so, but it doesn't seem to have enough people in the middle that are, where they would pull him back or give him an out to, or a place to go. So I want to fast forward to you because you have so many different areas you could cover. I want to talk about Facebook and the banning of the president. Big interview for Chris Wallace. He got Michael McConnell. He's the Facebook oversight board co-chair because Zuckerberg can't handle his own company. They go, we'll decide, uh, we'll be the arbiter to decide who should be banned and who shouldn't. Now, we know about... You know, it's okay for Maxine Waters to threaten people. It's okay for LeBron James to put a target on a cop for Twitter. But this is the this guy uh, says that the rules for Facebook are in a shambles. They have six months to straighten it out. But he also said this: cut forty. Mr. Trump is the one who issued those inflammatory posts at the very time when rioters were uh, invading the Congress and shutting down. Uh, the constitutionally prescribed process for counting electoral votes. He issued those posts. He's responsible for doing that. Uh, he bears a responsibility for his own situation. He put himself in this bed, and he can sleep in it. See, there he led to me his whole agenda, because that is up for massive debate whether President Trump did uh, told people to go into and raid the Capitol building, he told them to go down there peacefully. At the very least, if you're a judge, you had to take in all sides. This guy had a, clearly had an agenda, and he spit it out right at the end. Right, and and also, Brian, if you how do you compare that to say threats against Israel by the mullahs in Iran? How do you compare it to a Farrakhan uh, with his with his attacks? How do you compare it to you know uh, the the far left, uh, the Kathy Griffins showing the beheaded Donald Trump? I mean, where's the relative comparison here? You don't get that. You just get we hate Donald Trump, therefore Donald Trump is the problem. But then that's where you get into the bias, where you see whatever he says and does in a different light from what the other side says and does. Then you begin to make excuses. You begin to draw these very fine distinctions, the angels on the head of a pin question, that only only someone with bias can see. And that's the problem. I mean, I think what you never hear them say is, our hand should be the least possible hand. We should do the least possible with restricting anybody. But that's not their approach. Their approach is some things are so dangerous that we have to uh, ban them. And that then always becomes a political decision. In the end, that's all this is. It's another form of politics favoring the left. So do you believe, since Donald Trump dominated this platform in particular, in order to get all the free billions of dollars of free advertising on it, and being that he communicated uh, more than Barack Obama or anybody else with the power in his followers, good and bad, do you believe he could possibly win another election without Facebook? Uh, 
Well, I would answer it this way. I don't know that he could win another election with or without Facebook. Uh, I think uh, Donald Trump's political future is, is highly contestable at this point. I mean, you see evidence in both directions. So I would be hesitant to say that he could win or he could never win, uh, depending on Facebook. I think there's so many other variables. That would be one of them. But in my mind, not the biggest one. I, I think the biggest one uh, going forward for President Trump is can he pull back on some of the actions and rhetoric that cost him the last election? And I'm not taking a position on whether it was stolen or not. I think there are a lot of irregularities that have to be cleaned up and fixed, particularly on mail-in ballots. But nonetheless, uh, I, th I think Donald Trump uh, – contributed to the results. And I, I think that's, that's what's – I mean, I, I don't support uh, Liz Cheney and the things she, – she's free to do it. I just don't think she should be a member of the leadership team if she, if she is really leading, you know, 3 percent of the uh, party. But I, th but I think President Trump has bigger issues than Facebook. True. Uh, he raised so much money and dominated that platform to such a degree that I, I just imagine 538 disagrees with me, by the way. They believe that he can win without Facebook. We'll see what happens when it comes around to it. Uh, here's what uh, Chris Christie said about Liz Cheney. Cut 27. I also like Liz Cheney. Um, and I think Liz is smart and tough. But I think Liz is doing what she wants to do. I don't think Liz wants to be in leadership anymore because once she won the vote earlier, she continued to press this issue publicly in a way that was antagonizing the people who were against her. And I think you don't have an entitlement to be in leadership, but you do have an entitlement to be in Congress. Your thoughts? I, I agree with Chris Christie. I don't think she wants to be three. Yeah, hard, hard to say. I mean, it does feel like a suicide mission uh, and that maybe she sees herself politically uh, as being uh, more of a martyr and therefore has more of a viable political reach. I don't think she has much of a case to be made in any event. I mean, whether it's John Kasich, Mitt Romney, uh, all of the other Republicans who bailed on Trump and thought they could be the anti-Trump, uh, it doesn't seem to be much of a support for that within the party. Maybe she, want, maybe she figures the Republican Party is dead. But I think Chris Christie said it very well. You, you, are, you have a spot in the party, but you're not entitled to leadership. And I think that's what she has given up on. And he may be right that she doesn't want to be and she wants this. I think if she wants to be kicked out, it's because she sees herself, I mean, it, it, politically as having a greater advantage by being kicked out. That's not a moral issue. That's a political issue. She's thinking 2024, 28, uh, and she wants to be there still standing because she voted with the president, 90, the former president, 93 percent of the time. Elise Stefanik, 74 percent of the time. So she, that's his whole thing when I say about President Trump. It's like, well, what do you want? You're seeing you, you got so upset by the, his actions and some of the things that he has said. He's out now. Ben Sass, congratulations. You're truly a conservative. Mitt Romney, congratulations. You're truly a conservative. You must be horrified by what you did. Look at defense. Look at the spending. Look at the domestic programs. Look at the educational curriculum. Look at what the socialistic aspects of this country have become. Look at the CIA ads that are out. That's because you didn't like Donald Trump's personality, but you love what he did. And that's my problem with people who can't see around the corner. It's almost like losing your temper and saying, uh-oh, I wish I didn't do that. You lost your temper, and you also lost your government. 
Congratulations. Uh, Michael, thanks so much. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. You got it. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. We'll take your calls. Then Jonathan Swan at the bottom of the hour. Then Stuart Varney. And then we'll squeeze in some calls at the end. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. There are governors now who are going to go off the, the enhanced federal unemployment insurance because they think it's a disincentive for people to go out to work. Uh, as somebody with opinions about disincentives and incentives, do you think that that's possible, that the enhanced unemployment insurance, while obviously well-intentioned, is creating a disincentive, disincentive for some Americans? Look, people want to work. And in fact, labor force participation, those people who are looking for jobs went up last month. There are still difficult hurdles for people working, including health concerns around the pandemic, child care. So the American Rescue Plan was a really important piece of legislation. Yeah, because you passed it. Uh, That was Jeff Zeitz. He's in charge of the COVID-19 response. He's a coordinator. Of course, he's not going to admit it. That's That's the talking point of the Biden administration. If they make a mistake, remember Joe Biden said, if I make a mistake, I'll tell you. Joe, speak up. You got a microphone today. You got a big... Uh, conversation you're going to have about uh, infrastructure. You're going to talk to NATO. Try to squeeze in a statement. We think we overcompensated uh, for people uh, who are out of work. We caught too long. With con- economy, uh, the economy's ready to stand up, and you heard it. Dean, you're listening on Long Island. Hey, Dean. Hey, Brian. Uh, listen, you're a, you're a thousand percent right. People are not going back. I published the Long Island Job Finder, employment newspaper and website, and I talk to HR directors every day, and they're not telling me that people are afraid to go back to work for their health. What they're telling me is they're saying, look, we're getting extra money on top of unemployment. We get to spend time with our family. We don't have to commute. We don't spend money on gas and lunch and everything like this. We can go to the beach over the summer. We're riding this baby out as long as they're going to give it to us, and then we'll think about coming back to work, period. That's why a lot of governors are, are saying I'm reject- they're rejecting the extra money. They're sending it back because they've got to get people to work, and it's using some of the money to incentivize people to work. And I just think for people that are scared, they're in, tri- they're in charge of that. Joe Biden wearing two masks outside walking alone makes people feel intimidated. He needs people to say, you get vaccine, go back to your life. There's a risk out there, but life's full of risk. I mean, my goodness, uh, every day we're, we're putting ourselves at risk. This is lower than most that we're putting ourselves into on a daily basis. It's now lower than the flu. Get back to work. And I think the administration is just trying to get some more of the trillion dollars into our bloodstream, uh, Dean. And to do that, you have to show the pandemic continues. Also, um, special thanks to WCED, 1420 AM in Du Bois, Pennsylvania. They're now carrying the show on their FM channel, your only local news radio. Appreciate that. I always love expanding the family of affiliates. Uh, so, so glad you're here. You're going to love Jonathan Swan next. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. In general, I don't agree with that. The bottom line is the American people want results. The Senate is a very slow-moving process. I would begin, you know, starting this work uh, immediately. If Republicans want to come on board seriously, great. If not, we're going to do it alone. 
Bernie Sanders talking to Axios on HBO, and that was to Jonathan Swan, national political reporter, uh, best in the business, or one of the best in case anyone else is listening that I really like. But Jonathan Swan does a great job. Jonathan, you sat down with Bernie Sanders, who does not want to cut an infrastructure deal, and this is a big week for that deal. Jonathan, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Brian. Appreciate it. Don't you feel like they're under the gun to get something this week before they, they all take a break? They definitely need to – for progressives like Bernie Sanders, um, the White House and uh, Democratic leadership need to show substantial progress towards a deal. We're basically in this interregnum period where they're trying to see whether they can break up this it, – it, they call it infrastructure. It's really, as you know, much, much vaster than that word. It you know, covers social welfare and of course. pretty sweeping changes to the economy. But they're trying to break it up into chunks so that they can get – Republicans and or ten Republicans anyway to support part of it so that they can have something that they can call a bipartisan win heading into the midterms. Bernie Sanders, as he told me when we sat down, is very impatient with this approach. He just believes Democrats should barrel ahead, fifty votes, go big, and you know, you know, don't waste their time trying to cut a deal with Republicans. So. Uh... You know, Bill Cassidy came out and said, listen, I got the backing of McConnell to cut a deal. We already offered like $660 billion. There's going to be a meeting with about eight Republicans this week. And before they go to break, if, you know, Joe Biden could have a big upside by getting infrastructure passed and saying, look what I've done so early. So I'm, I'm really surprised that he wouldn't get deep, uh, you know, roll up his sleeves on this. Do you think there's a there's a reconciliation pathway here where you need less than 60 votes? I, I think that's probably the most likely end result here. Does it qualify? I'm not, I'm not out. I'm not ruling. Well, you can't necessarily do everything under reconciliation. There's obviously going to be, you know, adjudication with the parliamentarian, and we saw that in the first effort. You know, they tried to get a minimum wage hike into it, and they couldn't. So, you know, it's a case by case basis. But a lot of the spending does fit under reconciliation, and ultimately, I think where the White House will probably end up is uh, doing a lot of this stuff through reconciliation because there just aren't 10 Republicans to support most of their agenda. There isn't, uh, unless, of course, these these 10 come over and they just say, listen, we committed to two, two trillion plus with President Trump. We look pretty bad now. I mean, does I think Mitch McConnell made a huge mistake last week when he said I'm there just to stop Joe Biden's agenda. Barack Obama wrote that statement, similar statement to reelection. I mean, my Lord, Brian, like, just think about it this way, like, just from a, uh interviewing standpoint, right? Um, you know, if you interview Biden or, you know, one of his aides, one of the lines of questioning might be on the question of bipartisanship. Well, all they need to do is cite Mitch McConnell's quote, and they have a perfectly, you know, terrific yeah. slam dunk. And so, I, you know, I agree with you on that. So... Uh... You said that you were trying to develop pathways into Biden. They're a pretty tight ship right now, and nobody comes into the office. They're all on this, you know, on Zoom calls. So there's not a lot of people milling about with nothing to do or sitting outside writing books like the Trump years. Has that changed? Well, it's not so much that there's no access. Like you can, I mean, Biden himself is obviously a very protected, well defended person like he's not out there giving a whole bunch of interviews and certainly i've tried to get an interview with him and haven't succeeded so far but um it's not it's not that you can't get senior officials on the phone it's that so far at least 
the five or six or seven people who run the White House are basically, they're all, with the exception of a couple, people who've been friends since the early 1980s. And they have, a, so far anyway, a fairly leak-proof operation. Um, I think that is maybe going to be difficult to, to sustain through difficult times, but so far anyway, um, most things have been going their way, and, and it's been pretty disciplined so far. Well, uh, so you know, Bernie Sanders is difficult, is is is, is skeptical of the deal making. Uh, Mitch McConnell said something I thought ill-advised, saying what we just went over. Uh, but somehow, I believe Jonathan. And I don't know if you have a pen handy, but write this down. I think they're going to get something done. Do you want to write that down, or are you going to remember it? I'll write it down. I write down, and I tend to agree with you. I mean, I I don't know that it's bipartisan. They might get something um, uh, smaller done yeah. in a bipartisan way, but but um, but the the larger agenda, you know, I think will be reconciliation. I want to bring you to the Republican Party. Karl Rove said this about Liz Cheney's uh, imminent ouster. Cut twenty six. If she loses, which is likely, it's going to further alienate the minority of Republicans who like what Donald Trump did in office but don't like how he handled himself, particularly in the aftermath of the election. And it's going to make it more difficult to attract swing voters uh, in the 2022 elections. Uh, it's one of the few times I disagree with Karl Rove, even though I'm a fan of Liz Cheney. I don't think Liz Cheney gets you swing voters. I don't think voters care yeah. about the, the composition of, of leadership in the in the Republican House, uh, I, I just think that some of these times, you know, sometimes we overanalyze these developments. Um, what I do think is very clear uh, is that Liz Cheney does not represent the views of the Republican conference. Like it or not, it's just a plain fact. She does not represent the views of the Republican conference, and so, and frankly, she doesn't represent the views of the vast majority of Republican voters either. I mean, we did, we, we did Axios episodes, did some polling on Liz Cheney pretty recently, and it's, it's, it's staggering how underwater she is with Republican voters. So, you know, she really is a leader without much of a following As in a, her own party. Right, a, congress, a congresswoman in Wyoming, not a very populous state with, with a famous name, but it's President Trump. Where do you, where do you gauge President Trump's uh, approval at you know they say that in some cases of battleground states and some polls that Republicans have that he's underwater in a lot of battleground states in some key counties, but yet every Republican sees power in Trump and sees um, and sees practicality in being with him. What's the reality there, Jonathan? I think you know this the Trump team as well as anyone. Well, I think he's um, you know out, out of sight, out of mind a little bit. You know, like there, there's probably a sense of uh, People, you know, he's just not in people's face all the time, so that can, you know, change uh, some of these calibrations. But I just wouldn't read a whole lot into these sort of uh, approval ratings that are coming out right now. I don't think they're particularly relevant. I think the the really interesting question is: Is he going to run again? And my reporting, at least recently, look, I, I caveat this, but you know, as you know, a lot can change between now and 2024. But I think he really wants to run again, and everyone I talk to who's spending time with him and talking to him believes that. Uh, so, you know, I think people are underestimating, broadly speaking, uh, the, the chances that he will run again. And, you know, you'd have to be a braver person than me to bet against him in a Republican primary. 
Absolutely, but it's you know it doesn't stop Vice President Pence from doing some early going to New Hampshire early, and we know Tim Scott and Rick Scott uh, went over to Iowa already, and there's no doubt about it. Mike Pompeo looks like a candidate; he's mobilizing pretty effectively. Nikki Haley looks like she's putting a team together. Christy Nome hasn't said it, but man, she's been out there and and looked pretty, you know, pretty bold. No one's really going against him, and I think Chris Christie's all but admitted he's going to run. So why do all these other people who are allies of Trump? Uh, getting operations together if what you say is true. And by the way, everybody I know says the same thing. Well, I think you have to uh, – well, Chris Christie has told people that he's going to run regardless. Uh, it will, well, I should say – I should modify that a little bit, uh, that, that tr- President Trump's decision to run that won't affect his decision. I don't believe that's true of almost anyone else. I think they would all – yeah, I don't see Mike Pompeo running against Trump. You know, I don't think he'd have much of a hope. And and Nikki Haley has said publicly that she wouldn't run <laughs> if Trump ran. But um, you know, I think they have to build operations. You know, because there's a chance he won't run, and and you can't find yourself flat-footed. These these presidential cycles start immediately after the last one, and in order to be competitive, you really need to start locking away donors, building an operation. Right. Um, and if you if you have presidential aspirations. That's just what you have to do. I want you to hear a little bit. I want everyone to hear you a little bit more of your interview with Bernie Sanders. Talk about the Democratic Party. I think he's right. Cut 14. The Democratic Party has drifted away from being the party of FDR and even Harry Truman and being understood and perceived correctly as the working class party. If if that can't be changed, that that trend of Democratic Party becomes the party of the college educated Republicans becoming the party of the not. Like, do you think that's sustainable for a progressive party? No, I don't. And I don't think it's sustainable for American democracy. But that's exactly what's happening. I think Sanders is right. Do you think he's right, Jonathan? He's, he's absolutely right. And it's a, it's a trend. The interesting thing about this is it's not just happening in the United States. If you look across the West, you are seeing in numerous countries, including in the United Kingdom, left and center-left parties becoming increasingly reliant on college-educated voters and, and losing working-class, non-college-educated voters. It's a trend that deeply concerns Bernie Sanders. And I know it, I know it concerns Biden as well, because you can see the emphasis he's putting. You know, when he talks about his jobs plan, he says, you know, this, a lot of these jobs won't require college degrees. But it's yeah. a problem not just gotcha. here in the United States, but across the West. Jonathan, always love having you on. Thanks so much for making time for us. Jonathan Swan, Stuart Varney next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Now, The Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney. Live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. In a few minutes, I'll be joining FBN, a fast-growing cable channel in the country, number one business channel. And then I'll be able to squeeze in some calls on the other side. So get on board, 1-866-408-7669. We'll discuss that. You can also write me at briankilmeade.com, and uh, we'll discuss that, too. Also, uh, special thanks to WCED, 1420 AM in Du Bois, Pennsylvania, for joining the show. First day on board. We appreciate you being there. So let's listen in. That means on the button, 1051, Brian Kilmeade appears miraculously on the right-hand side of your screen. Uh, Brian, I don't know what to make of Dr. Fauci. He says maybe it's time to relax indoor face mandates 
And I'm not sure exactly where he stands about masks being worn outdoors. He's, all, he's completely confused me, Brian. He doesn't prethink anything. He goes on there and he does scientific surfing. Goes around, plays defense, uses a lot of big words. I cannot believe people listen to him at all at this point. Where does he have time to even study data? He's on the television 18 hours a day. A couple other things. Dr. Scott Gottlieb, our doctors that we have here, have been saying what he's been saying much more concisely and directly. And he at the same time says, well, we're almost ready to relax but he does not take in natural immunity. He does not take in the people that had it. Remember, Stuart, we were going to find out about the antibodies. That was going to be our ticket till vaccines came. Then we stopped testing for antibodies. That We might be at herd immunity right now. But for some reason, he's invested in everyone taking the vaccine, invested in whatever Joe Biden says, finding a way to cover for the edicts coming out of this White House, where he spent the last two years, excuse me, year, during the pandemic, just trying to contradict subtly Donald Trump's White House. As soon as it became clear and he yeah. came in and said how much he loves Rachel Maddow's show, I said, wait a second, it's not Johnny Carson's Tonight Show. This guy likes a political agenda like Rachel Maddow, who's fine. But if you're a doctor condemning a Republican president who is cheering the fact that Rachel Maddow uh, booked him and he wanted to come on so much earlier— Right there, you got to discount what he's saying. And he's never come clean about the NIH's money given to the Wuhan lab. He never speaks about the origin of this virus in great detail or urgency, as if it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter? Until we find out how we got it, we're never going to find out how to stop it. I don't. I, I find it hard to believe that people are listening to him when he came out and said, also, maybe at different times during the year, we're all going to wear masks to stop the flu. Really? So we're not going to go outside. We're going to walk around in masks the rest of our lives if we feel it's flu season or we have allergies in the air. He can do that. I'm done with his recommendations. Why are we like this? We've just come out of a weekend where it seemed to me that we're pretty much returned to normal in many, many parts of the country. And yet we've still got these mask advisories. The president still appears in a mask. Seems to me we the people are way out front of the politicians, especially Democrats, because we have demanded our freedom and a lot of us have got it. We're out front of the politicians here. Because we listen to a president being condemned by saying not following the science, and we hear we're going to follow the science. He goes and lets his scientists lead policy, which is not the point. They have an area of expertise. They're supposed to give that to him, and he's supposed to tell us the policy. Having said that, we realize he's contradicting himself everywhere he goes. If you're vaccinated, you can go outside without a mask. Unless you're President Biden, he's worried about you. That's why he wears a mask. Excuse me. You almost no chance of spreading the virus. Take the mask off. If you're worried about why exactly. and wondering why and befuddled and curious why people aren't taking the vaccine, because people are wondering why the president of the United States doesn't trust the vaccine. Why is it that you're wearing two masks yeah. inside to a fully vaccinated press corps? It makes no sense. Scott, uh, Scott Gottlieb came over over the weekend and said it's time to relax indoor vaccine, uh, indoor masking. Why are we doing it? Everyone's had an option now just about up till 18 of getting a vaccine. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but you make your judgment, judging by the science, you live your life the way you want. But if we took the vaccine, did our research and did it, that means we're almost impervious to getting this. So let us live our lives. 
They're using words like giving us the privilege of going here, the privilege of going to Broadway, the privilege of going indoor dining without a mask or going to work without a mask. The privilege? Who are you to give us privilege to live our lives? We got your virus. We understand the rules. Right. Now get out of the way. Exactly right, Brian Kilmit. Well, by the way, we're going to be watching you tonight. Fox News primetime, 7 o'clock Eastern tonight. You'll be hosting tonight, and in fact, for the whole week, I believe. Yep. And we'll be following you, Brian. Thanks very much for being with us. I appreciate you, Stuart. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. You got it. Uh, Sure thing, man. All right. uh, 1-866-408-7669. We'll take your calls. But the other thing we're talking about, too, is uh, uh, in the past, we've been talking about education. What I'm so encouraged about is an organic push, not pushed by the news agencies. We just exposed it about what's happening with this white fragility education, this critical race theory education. And so many people, I don't even know if they're Republican or Democrat, are standing up and taking action, including nobody better, arguably, than Andrew Gutman. He he puts his daughter in an elite school that usually leads right to the Ivy Leagues, this Beardsley School. He sees the critical race theory, and he spoke up, wrote a letter, was published on Substack, and now he's pulling his daughter out, and might be starting his own school. Listen to what he said uh, to us over the weekend, Fox and Friends Weekend, Cup 53. You know, I wrote on, uh, yesterday, which was in the New York Post, we need parents to speak up. I think we're at the very, very beginning stages of this. This is a huge fight, but we need people to speak up. But it's hard because there's this pervasive fear of speaking up on this issue, this cancel culture. And until we sort of solve the cancel culture issue, uh, it, it, we're not going to solve the education issue, this critical race theory. So we need some uh, CEOs, business leaders to not cower to the social media mob. We need some courageous ones to speak up and say, look, we're not going to cancel our employees for speaking up for their kids' education. And because other people have flooded him with requests and praise, he is considering starting his own school. He's being encouraged to do it right in Manhattan. He's a a very rich guy. I don't know where he made in finance, but he's still in finance. I believe he lives in Greenwich. His daughter goes there in Connecticut. And he says, I might actually go ahead and do it. And it's not to indoctrinate, it's to educate. That's the key. Tell people about 1619. But the founding of the country happened in 1776. Tell everyone about the world wars. But also tell them about the Civil War, the pluses and minus. Don't come out against America. Is that too much to ask? Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. Hope you had a great weekend, especially the mothers out there with the Mother's Day. Hope you got a reprieve or do whatever you chose uh, to do. Maybe it's being twice as busy as you usually are. All good. Congresswoman Claudia Tenney will be here. You know, she fought that tough fight in New York to win her seat. She's on the Foreign Affairs and Small Business Committee. Man, we need both. We need our expertise in both areas. And Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour. I'll be uh, I'll be uh, coming on after Brett tonight at 7 on primetime all week long. So we'll, maybe Brett and I will rehearse the handoff today. Then I'll toss over to Tucker. Hope to not drop the ball. 
And uh, meanwhile, today, we know the President of the United States will be delivering remarks on the economy. Uh, it's hard for me to imagine him going to spin positively after just 200,000 uh, jobs were added when he expected 800,000, maybe a million. And he also, will the President of the United States speak to NATO, or it spoke to NATO already, the um, about the uh, about his allies, what he wants to do, and it has to be about what happened over the weekend. A Russian renegade outfit took down and currently is still down the East Coast pipeline, the biggest one in the country. We have, are going to have natural gas and oil issues because we've been cyber hacked. Maybe it's from the Solar Winds hack. The Russians have to pay the price for this. We are the superpower. How long are we going to be taking this? Oh, uh, like uh, the right being taking shots like this, like with the Prussians heavy bag. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. As conference chair, you have one of the most critical jobs of the messenger of going forward. That's why we need a conference that's united. Do you support Elise Stefanik for that job? Yes, I do. Yep, leadership change for the GOP. We're also going to talk about the Republican agenda. Meanwhile, the Facebook Oversight Committee opens up on the future of Trump on the platform, and it's not looking good. Number two. On infrastructure, he has made it clear. If we can find something that actually spends money on infrastructure, Mm -hmm. roads and bridges, imagine that, we can cut a deal. I don't think Mitch or any Republican is for the $7 trillion in spending the administration has proposed for this year alone. I know. They want two and then $2.4 trillion. It's unbelievable. That's Senator Bill Cassidy. D-Day week for the latest spending bill from President Biden's money printing press. He'll be spending $660 billion on infrastructure. The Republican says you can have that, but not $2.4 trillion. I think there'll be a deal done. We're also going to talk about the terrible jobs report and what it means. It means that people are getting too much money not to work. You can't blame them for not maybe getting cash on the side, doing some cash jobs. When are they going to adjust this? Number one. I think we're at the point in time when we can start lifting these ordinances in a wholesale fashion, and people have to take precautions based on their individual risk. They have to judge their own individual risk and decide whether or not they're going to avoid crowds or wear masks based on their circumstances. Yep, let them go. Let all the restrictions go for the vaccinated. Americans with the antibodies give Americans confidence to go back to work and to school. For those not vaccinated, play at your own risk, but the restrictions must go. The medical community weighs in, and Anthony Fauci offers some ridiculous predictions. So what I was just telling you about uh, uh, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, I think was noteworthy uh, on Face the Nation. He was the first one to say, look out, we're getting ready for the second wave, maybe a third wave. Then he was saying, I'm not really sure why we're not putting on masks. He was questioning things along the way, but not just a question. He was doing it responsible while also admitting he's on the board of Pfizer. Cut one. I think we're at the point in time when we can start lifting these ordinances in a wholesale fashion, and people have to take precautions based on their individual risk. They have to judge their own individual risk and decide whether or not they're going to avoid crowds or wear masks based on their circumstances. Right. And right now, a lot of people are just foregoing the the vaccine. You know who else is foregoing it? Like 30 percent of nursing home workers. I'm saying that. Why? I mean, my goodness, it just you just if unless you know something as nursing home nurses, you have a chance of getting somebody who is obviously compromised because they're upper in age, elderly, you would think. I don't know. Uh, I, I was stunned at that number. But it was, it's very high. Uh, still not vaccinated. They're, they're studying it. They say 60% of staffers, wow, 60, at some city facilities in New York refusing to get 
the vaccine. The vaccination rates among workers drastically trail the vulnerable residents of the same facility. I think a lot of seniors, almost every senior's gotten already. In Wisconsin, officials have asked for just 8% of the doses they ordered. In Iowa, just 29% of the state's allocated doses said keep the rest. In Kansas, they want less than 9% of the 162,000 they have allocated to them. Connecticut, South Carolina, over 26%. North Carolina scaled back their request by 40%. People aren't lining up for the shots. If not, just tell me why. Because just so you know, if you're not doing it as Joe Biden's giving it out, Donald Trump's regime came up with it, even though Joe Biden won't admit it, even though it would help the cause. And keep in mind, if you are a Biden voter— Donald Trump may have came up with it, but Joe Biden took it and is now distributing it, and it is single-handedly the reason why the numbers are going down. So just understand what you're taking a stand for. And if it's not convenient, I don't know how much more convenient you can get. Wherever you can go, you can get it. And I think soon uh, 16 or 12 to 16-year-olds will get it. Do your own research, but don't not get it for political reasons. That's all I ask. Cut for. If you're fully vaccinated against COVID with one of the Western vaccines, your risk of having a bad outcome from COVID is about comparable to flu and maybe less because the vaccines for COVID are more effective than the vaccines for flu. So I think that that's a reasonable way for the average consumer to anchor their thinking about COVID right now. That is true. That's why all these schools need to be open. You got to commit. I have got commitments from the fall from a lot of people. That means let people use their lockers again. Take down the plexiglass again. Tell the kids they don't have to wear a mask. They're already telling college kids you better be vaccinated to come on campus. I have a warning for you, chancellors. If you're going to make the kids get vaccinated, no more restrictions. Not three feet, not six feet, no more masks, high fives, whatever. No restrictions. That's it. You can't have it both ways. So what people are not reporting, and I watched all the Sunday shows, was what happened with these teachers unions. And one of the teachers unions, President Randy Weingarten, will be joining Martha McCallum today at 3 o'clock, is influencing the CDC. The guidelines we are forced to live with and digest to keep businesses closed and kids at home and maybe women at home because their kids are at home are in bed with the CDC and they're changing policy because of it. The only person to bring that up is Governor Chris Christie. Cut eight. We saw this this past week that the the CDC (laughs) set out a plan to send kids back to school based on science. And until Randy Weingarten and her team sent in the emails to the CDC, and then all of a sudden that policy changed. And now we still have less than half of the kids back to school in classrooms around this country um, because the teachers union does not want their members to have to go back into the classrooms even after they're vaccinated. So that is a huge story, which CNN, MSNBC, your local network, no one's covering. I'm not sure why, because it really transcends party politics. If you're a woman that really didn't vote for Donald Trump, a suburban woman, with many didn't this time, but you're home, just so you know, if there was President Trump, uh, these schools would be open. And there would be mass problems if these unions kept them closed because they would have no political sport to do it. Right now, they have all the sport and cover they need. Remember, President Biden always said, if I make a mistake, I'll tell you, I'm gonna, I care about the kids. You don't care about the kids. You care more about the unions and the $40 billion that they gave you, $40 million they gave you last cycle. That is, in fact, true. So real quick before we go to break, and I do want to take some – I don't want to take too much time away from Congresswoman Claudia Tenney. 
I do want to talk about the President of the United States and Facebook. We finally have great booking by Chris Wallace, as he told us on our show. He booked Michael McConnell, who's the Facebook Oversight Board co-chair, and was asked about Facebook and why they were elected to kick the can down the road, criticize Facebook, but keep Donald Trump banned. Uh, and here, and he went back and forth. It went on for a while, but he says uh, essentially this. Uh, Facebook was justified, but their rules are an absolute mess. They're a shambles. Cut 37. They needed some time because their rules are a shambles. They are not transparent. They are unclear. Uh, they are they're internally inconsistent. Uh, so we made a series of recommendations about how to make their rules clearer and more consistent. Uh, and the hope is that they will use the next few months to do that. And then when they come back and look at this, they'll be able to apply those rules in a straightforward way. Right. And uh, by the way, there's a report out of Florida that Governor DeSantis is going to start suing uh, uh, for these fa- Facebook and others that are deplatforming. And we know that's already uh, the case. They're going to start suing the CDC, too, because the CDC has hurt California business. No kidding. Uh, it's a, it seems to be a total clown show. The people that know what they're doing are forced to play politics. And you thought that was exclusively to Donald Trump? I don't think so. At least Donald Trump was saying flat out, China's fault. China has not told us the truth yet. President Xi lied to him flat out and said it's not going to be a problem. And it doesn't transfer to human-to-human contact. And when the sun comes out, this will go away. That's why President Trump said what he was going to say. So those are part of the things that uh, are an issue. And you see politics playing a role in how we live our lives on a daily basis. And when we see the President of the United States walking around with double masks outside, and inside with vaccinated, uh, with vaccinated uh, journalists in front of him, just the, the, the farce which is his administration. I love the way they've gotten the distribution together. Fine. I'm not convinced Trump would have done the same exact thing. He's already moving. He was getting about a million uh, jabs, and it was just opening up for a few weeks when he took over. So we'll talk about that. Remember, the announcement came just a week after the election. Amazing on that timing. Listen, we come back, uh, Congresswoman Claudia Tenney. Then Brett Baer takes over, and we're going to talk about what's happening in politics this week. Does he agree with me that we're going to get something done on infrastructure? And then we'll finish up with a more to know. Busy hour. And don't forget, I'm on at 7 tonight on primetime. Don't move. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. If she loses, which is likely, it's going to further alienate the minority of Republicans who like what Donald Trump did in office but don't like how he handled himself, particularly in the aftermath of the election. And it's going to make it more difficult to attract swing voters uh, in the 2022 elections. Karl Rove uh, saying that he thinks it's not a good move to oust uh, Liz Cheney. Chris Christie came on a little bit later on a different channel and said, I think she wants out anyway. Congresswoman Claudia Tenney worked hard, pulled off a huge upset in the last election in the 22nd District in New York. She's on the Foreign Affairs and Small Business Committee. And Congresswoman Tenney, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It's an honor to be on your show. Oh, thank you. And of course, we're heard, uh, we have local affiliates all around New York. Um, and Congresswoman, first off, what's your sense with Carl Rove? Is it a bad message not being inclusive with Liz Cheney? I don't, I don't agree with Carl Rove, and I, I think he's a brilliant strategist. But I, you know, I think it's time now. Liz Cheney was given a second chance. 
uh, back in February, uh, she was challenged and uh, she ended up retaining that. So the House kept her and gave her a second chance. Now she's continuing this sort of divisive, you know, war with the president. And, you know, I think it's important for people to, my view of it, and I'm a lawyer and I consider myself a constitutionalist, you know, Liz's argument back when she was trying to make the case for impeaching Trump, which I disagree with, and I'll tell you why. Um, This president was not given the basic constitutional rights under the 14th Amendment, due process, the right to confront his witnesses, which are other, you know, the the first 10 amendments. He was not given those in this. And now Liz Cheney, in her recent article, and others are saying, I think now we need to go do an investigation of what happened on January 6th and now find out what really happened. Well, how could you vote to impeach at that point when you didn't really know what happened? And the other thing that I thought was unconstitutional is she kept saying, I'm voting my conscience. And what I'm concerned about is as a member of Congress and someone who has taken an oath of office, my oath is actually first to uphold constitutional principles and our constitution. It's not to make personal decisions about what we think. And I think by saying you're going to vote your conscience is actually a personal decision. So even if it had been a Democratic president, because I didn't get to vote then because my election trailed on so long, I think that she was not upholding her constitutional principles in voting to impeach. I, I just don't see how you could do that when you have the snap impeachment without the president, regardless of his personality or what you might have thought of him, having you know witnesses before him, having hearings and doing at least something before you vote on an impeachment. Uh, Democrats are holding on to January 6th like there's nothing else happened before or after. Rahm Emanuel is looking at this, and I, everyone had the same tone. I feel so bad for the Republican Party. We need a two-party system. It's too bad Republicans are falling apart when you've won all the state houses. You're on the precipice of winning the House, and you should have won the Senate, which would have been a huge upset because it was supposed to be a Democratic year there. Here's what Rahm Emanuel assessed from his perch. Cut 28. This is not a conservative party. You want to look at a conservative party, pick up John Boehner's book, pick up former President Bush's book. That's conservative. This is a reactionary party built on both resentment and race. That is where the party's going. Second, the other piece of this is you talk about an agenda. There's, in 2020, there was no platform. There's no agenda. It's about Donald Trump. You know, parties exist for two reasons. Set out a set of policy principles. They didn't have that in 2020. They still don't have that. Number two, to win elections. It took 90 years to find a president that could both lose the White House, the House, and the Senate. And Donald Trump did that. This is about Donald Trump and his grievances. Congresswoman Tenney, your take? You know, it's just listening to a Democrat who doesn't stand for our constitutional principles, who doesn't understand freedom and individual rights, and everything that Trump stood for. This is beyond Donald Trump. What Donald Trump did is restore our ability to keep our constitutional principles. He restored freedom. He talked about America first. He stood up to China. Uh, He made common sense decisions. He helped our small business community. You know, I'm a small business owner. We're celebrating our 75th year in a very uh, in a state like New York, where it's a struggle to survive, where the big businesses, which the Democrats tend to favor, you know, the corporatism and the money that, say, Andrew Cuomo has given to these businesses over the years only hurt the small business community. And we saw a voice in Donald Trump, someone who said, yes, we're going to bring those jobs back from China. My district, you know, IBM was founded in my district. The Industrial Revolution was founded in my district. Nearby uh, to me, we had Corning, uh, who is a major player. They make the Gorilla Glass for Apple. We have all these businesses that were started who have left for Asia and other countries. And Donald Trump was the first one to courageously stand up to China. I don't remember any other president being as forceful. So the Democrats, you know, Rahm Emanuel, I don't think is a a barometer of how we should be 
acting. I am a Republican, but I also care about my our working people. And for the first time, we actually have people who are, you know, working class who support our principles. Just drive through my district. There's still Donald Trump signs all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the economy was going good. No one can touch that. Uh, here's Jeffrey Zaitis. He's in charge of the, the he's the response coordinator of COVID-19. He was asked about why you paid everybody so much money. It costs more money. It's costing us more money and people aren't working because they're not going to get paid as much. That's why they're staying at home. Listen to what he said. Cut 10. There are governors now who are going to go off the, the enhanced federal unemployment insurance because they think it's a disincentive for people to go out to work. Uh, as somebody with opinions about disincentives and incentives, do you think that that's possible, that the enhanced unemployment insurance, while obviously well-intentioned, is creating a disincentive, disincentive for some Americans? Look, people want to work. And in fact, labor force participation, those people who are looking for jobs, went up last month. There are still difficult hurdles for people working, including health concerns around the pandemic, child care. So the American Rescue Plan was a really important piece of legislation. So you think people want to work? I think they do, but not if they're going to get paid more to stay home. This is, again, another fallacy. He should come to my district, talk to the hundreds of businesses I've talked to, especially restaurants, seasonal businesses, who have people who will not will be getting that additional enhanced unemployment until the end of August. I run a small business. We are desperate to have people come to work and they're getting they're just getting the benefit of staying home, which, by the way, these are good people. But the Democrats always presume that there's some hostile relationship between employer and employee. That's far from, from the case, particularly in our region and where I am. We care about our employees. We've done everything to incentivize them before. You know, health care was mandatory. We, we had a really great health care plan. Now it's terrible because gotcha. of Obamacare and the one size fits all Cut. cost to our small business, which makes us. I hear you, Congresswoman, as a business person, extremely valuable. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Brett Bear next. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. And that's probably partly what's holding back the economy right now. People are not going back to work, not just because of the benefits. I know there's been a lot of talk about that, but also because they're being told they have to wear masks and still have to exercise cautions that probably in many parts of this country you don't have to do. You look at San Francisco, 20 cases a day, more than 70 percent of the population vaccinated, very good testing in place. They don't need uh, mask ordinances indoors anymore and certainly not outside. And that's a big question. Uh, what, What are we doing? You don't tell us one thing to follow the science and then go go out of your way to just explain to us as if we're morons uh, why we're not allowed to walk indoors with vaccinated people without a mask on. Uh, none of this stuff made sense, but I understand people were learning on the fly. But now we know almost as much as you and we want to make our own decisions. And sadly, a lot of people are deciding not to get the vaccine. I'm not going to judge you, but we made our own decisions Let's get back to work. Brett Baer, chief political anchor of Fox News and anchor special report, has always been working. Uh, you also can get his book, Three Days at the Brink, FDR's Daring Gamble to Win uh, World War II. And he's got a great series on taxes on Fox Nation you got to check out. Brett, welcome back. Hey. Hey, Brett, don't you think it's time to lift these restrictions? We're done. The numbers are going in the right direction. The rest is all personal behavior and judgment. Parades back yeah, starting Memorial Day. Let's go. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of people that have that sentiment, Brian. Um, unfortunately, the Biden White House, um, Tony Fauci, and 
um, that coronavirus team is not uh, in that group. And I think that that's, that is an issue politically. It continues to gain uh, momentum as far as how big a deal it is, uh, depending on where you are. You know, we had the lowest per day case level that we've had in 12 months um, across the country. I think it was 21,000 um, new cases. Now, those cases are not hospitalizations. They're not deaths. They are cases, positives. And a lot of those are really mild um, as more and more people are taking the vaccine and hospitalizations are going down. So, listen, when asked over the weekend about the mass situation, uh, Dr. Fauci said that you know, it could be a situation where we are we go into seasonal mask wearing. Well, we never did that for a major flu outbreak. The coronavirus is different than the flu. Um, but I do think that there is some kind of change that's happening in the perception of what our risk level is. Here is uh, Dr. Fauci answering that question. Cut five. But is the mask going to be something we have with us in a seasonal aspect? You know, that's quite possible. I think people have gotten used to the fact that wearing masks, clearly, if you look at the data, diminishes respiratory diseases. We've had practically a non-existent flu season this year, merely because people were doing the kinds of public health things that were directed predominantly against COVID-19. So it is conceivable that as we go on a year or two or more from now, that during certain seasonal periods, mm -hmm. when you have respiratory-borne viruses like the flu, people might actually elect to wear masks to diminish the likelihood that you'll spread these respiratory-borne diseases. Is he kidding? <laughs> Listen, you know, Japan and some parts of Asia, it's a normal thing. Um, it's just not normal here. Never will and, be. And I don't think it ever will be either. And the the tough part is... If uh, one community decides, some town council decides, you know, we are a mask-wearing community come October, um, you know, are you ostracized if you're not wearing the mask? And I, I think that's going to be a big pushback. The pendulum will turn. Will turn. So uh, this infrastructure bill, uh, there's going to be six or, or eight uh, Republicans meeting with the president of the United States. And uh, Bill Cassidy came out over the weekend and said, yeah, I got permission from Mitch McConnell. He'll do a deal if, if it's around what we're offering, which is $600 billion as opposed to the $2.4 trillion that he wants. Uh, one thing Jonathan Swan weighed in on on Axios, uh, he said, look, infrastructure is one thing, but don't link it with jobs. Cut 18. The problem with tying this sort of conceptually to what's coming next with infrastructure is it's, it's sort of, it's kind of bogus because what the White House will tell you is this infrastructure plan is spaced out over a number of years. It's actually long-term investment. And this is not going to solve some monthly employment blip. We're talking about, you know, rebuilding the nation's infrastructure over a really long period of time with spaced out spending. And, you know, the jobs and whatever is going to come, but that's not immediate. And they're trying to sell it something it's not. Having said that, do you believe something could get done and we'll know, have an indication at the end of this week? Uh, first of all, I do think something can get done. There is a, a, a wish, I think, now to negotiate because the numbers just aren't there um, to push something huge through. I think Mitch McConnell over the weekend suggested $800 billion, you know, kind of inching up from 600 So maybe the... The ante is going up, and uh, that negotiation is already starting over te television waves. I do think that um, 
that Jonathan Swan is right, and we've talked about this before, about shovel-ready jobs and the process you have to go through to get projects approved. Now, because of the Trump administration, that process did speed up. Uh, regulation-wise, and 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 it, it's faster, but it's still not automatic, and a lot of these states end up with this money and spend it on something else uh, in the short term, and some of it is unemployment benefits, and some of it is paying off pensions, and some of it, you know, so it needs to be earmarked to the projects, but they take time. So police, this is police week, um, and, you know, people are looking at police, and they're the bad guys, right? they got to take the guns away from the police and got to reimagine police. And then over the weekend on 42nd Street, you see a shootout in the middle of the day on Saturday. Can you imagine this was uh, full strength with all the international tourists there? And you see a police officer, female, scoop up a small child and run about 100 yards to an ambulance who was shot uh, was named at just hit on the side. Three other people shot. You see a stabbing someone thrown a sixty year old thrown on the tracks, and you see a, I think a thirty year old stabbed in the chest with a screwdriver, and you you see that all of a sudden there's a sense that maybe the bad guys aren't the cops. Here's what Andrew Yang said, cut forty three, who's the leading candidate to be mayor. New York needs you. Your city needs you. We need you to do your jobs professionally, responsibly, and justly. And as you do these things, the people of New York will have your backs. I will have your back. Nothing works in our city without public safety. And for public safety, we need the police. But qualified immunity is not there in New York. No one's signing up for the academy. This is where the rubber hits the road. It's got to come in the next few months. Police reform or not, you make cops the bad guy, we're all in trouble. Do you think, do you think these politicians realize that, Brett? Yes, 100 percent. I mean, the ones that are rising to the top in that Democratic primary, which, let's be honest, is really the mayor's race in a place like New York, um, are the ones talking about public safety. Uh, Andrew Yang, um, there's a couple of them that are really focused on uh, the crime rates. And, you know, that's what people care about. They want to be able to take their kids you know, safely. They want to be able to walk to work. They want to be able to not get confronted. And I think it's not just New York. It's a it's a growing problem across the country. So, yeah, I, I think that this, um, again, I'm talking about a pendulum. It's a pendulum that swings when you do woke, you know, cancel culture stuff. And people say, wait a second, that's too much. And it's a pendulum that swings when you push back on police and you say defund. That's too much. And it's a pendulum when you say you have to wear a mask when you're by yourself mowing your lawn. Uh, yeah, we're, and I think we're at the point indoors, too. Uh, look, um, I got vaccinated. I'm not telling anyone to get vaccinated. But if you if you don't, that's your choice. But then you got to live with the risks. And we all know the risks. You don't need anybody to explain it to you now. But I want you to hear what James Clyburn said. On but police. You know what, Brian? Go I ahead. am telling people to get vaccinated. Listen, I'm I'm saying I chose. You have a choice. But. Listen, from, you know, you can do the studies. And I think, you know, I'm a news guy. I'm going to provide you all the data you have. But my choice was to get vaccinated. And just by informing somebody about that, I think is a positive thing. That's it. But I will like I'll inform them that I made that choice, but I'm not going to tell them. Uh, I'm not going to tell people to do it. I just don't feel comfortable. If I if I was Dr. McCarry or Dr. Siegel. I would do it, but I just I'm not qualified to do it. My research and the people I trust, I didn't hesitate at all. Either did my wife. 
uh, within two seconds, as soon as we got an appointment, we were in. Right. So I, I know, uh, you know, there's some people, not my age, but the younger people don't feel like they don't want to do it. And I just say, do your own research, but uh, understand that there's going to be businesses, private businesses. They're going to look for that card because they want to be able to open up to full capacity or fly to full capacity or be able to sell out Yankee Stadium. And right. that's where the rubber's going to hit the road with your life. Um, and I don't want people using knockoff passes either. But on police reform in particular, I got a two-part series. I went out to the police academy in Nassau uh, County and was able to go through the knock, no-knock warrants, what the risks are going to be if a lot of these reforms go, go through. Here's what James Clyburn said about police reform. Cut 47. I will never sacrifice good uh, on the altar of perfect. I just won't do that. Uh, I know what the perfect bill will, will be. We have proposed that. I want to see good legislation, and I know that sometimes you have to compromise. But let me say this. I have been saying from the beginning, we have well-trained police officers. We've got to do a better job of recruiting police officers. We've got to get good people, no matter how good the training. If you don't have good people, the training does no good. If you don't get qualified immunity now, uh, then... Uh, we'll come back and try to get it later. But I don't want to see us throw out a good bill uh, because we can't get a perfect bill. So you you can read between the lines. I sense we're getting closer on police reform, too. Do you? Yeah, 100%. I mean, it is a little rich for Congressman Clyburn to say it like that in that Tim Scott's bill was not a perfect bill, but a really good bill before the election. But it was imperfect because it gave Republicans a win potentially prior to November. Absolutely. So it's a little, little rich in the phrasing there. And um, yeah, he, he's pushing for qualified immunity. But I think you're hearing in everything that's being said up there that they're getting close and they realize that this is important. Listen, this is not an issue that benefits Democrats heading into 2022. If they still have no deal on police reform and there's still a caucus inside their party that's pushing for defund or you know marching about all that stuff and not supporting the police in any way shape or form as a party they've got real problems there's a 800,000 police officers there's hundreds of thousands retired there's police officer families and spouses and kids uh, they're going to vote and they're going to know exactly who's on their side and who's not. And it's hard to imagine you getting better quality people into an academy when you vilify them, don't pay them enough, and want to, want to have them risk being sued because some assailant feels as though they were mistreated. So forget it. You can't have both ways. And, I've, and, and by the way, they said, and I spoke to so many of them and so have you, they said, I did this job because I want to help people. They didn't do the job to write tickets. They didn't do the job to... To uh, to beat up would be assailants. They look they look to protect the public on a daily basis. Yeah, and they also would like to get home yeah. at the end of the night to their wives and kids. And if you're telling them that they can't use a gun on a traffic stop, like they're doing, or some, something like that, it, it's you know it's a dangerous business. Any traffic stop can be the one in New Mexico that the guy comes out with a, a shotgun and and kills the officer right there. So I, listen, it, it goes both ways, but it's it's really uh, a big issue as far as uh, those communities. Yeah, Brooklyn Center. They say we're going to make a proposal that cops to pull over uh, who highway cops will not have guns, so when they pull people over, they won't be able to shoot them. 
Good luck with that. Uh, tell me one person's going to say I'll be a highway cop. They don't pull people over to shoot them. They pull. They have to use a gun to protect themselves. Um, and obviously other things can be disseminated. You already have body cameras to do that. It's amazing the stupidity of some of the things that, that are going on right there, especially if, you see, if you're in the city that I'm in or you're in, where, where uh, security is really a major issue. At the same time, they're asking us to come back. They're asking tourists to come back to major cities again. You can't have it without the cops. Uh, Brett, who have you picked tonight uh, for your, for your uh, panel? Um, I have to look at today's list, but I know I'm adding Britt Hume to the panel. So um, I think it's going to be a crackerjack effort. You know, this story about this pipeline is really a big deal, too, about the uh, hacking of this pipeline. I'm just going to talk about it today, and I think we're going to see more about this criminal operation that essentially was going after it. Huge deal. We got to blink the lights of the entire country of Russia. That's a criminal organization within Russia would not exist without Vladimir Putin saying it's okay. So we have to send them a message and it's got to be of strength. Brett, you're going to be handing off to me tonight. So don't be nervous. Oh, nice. Back in the primetime seat. Can you do some more things? Can you like throw another? <laughs> I mean, I know you got the book and you got the series, Fox and Friends. Right. Okay. Uh, you should talk. All I right. watch you all day on the channel. Uh, Brett, I'll, <laughs> I'll see you tonight. All right, see ya. You got it. one 408 7669 Back in a moment. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Look, I know I sometimes say or post strange things, but that's just how my brain works. To anyone I've offended, I just want to say... I reinvented electric cars, and I'm sending people to Mars in a rocket ship. Did, did, did you think I was also going to be a chill, normal dude? It's pretty funny. I thought he was pretty good in the open. It, you realize uh, it's time to find out if we need to know more. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. It was, uh, as usual, a moderately funny episode of SNL. It's always weird. They, 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 they almost never have payoffs on their skits. And it's always, always politically uh, to the left. But Elon Musk, who got the cast upset by being a billionaire, the richest man in America, who goes into space, left California, went to Texas, had his opening stand-up. He's not an actor. A lot of stuff was good. And guess what? People responded. He has a 33.3% increase in ratings over the past three SNLs uh, in the last 46 episodes. Uh, he got a huge demo. 18 to 49 was a 2.7. So there was a, one. I think it's the best week they've had so far since the election week. Yeah, that was the that was the biggest one. I mean, he drew in the coveted rating of eighteen to forty nine, which you have just beyond, gone beyond now, Brian. It's he drew a two point seven. Pretty cool. Uh, next, NBA has fined New Orleans Pelicans uh, boss David Griffin fifty thousand dollars for blaming the referees for Zion Williamson's injuries. He's out indefinitely. He says they don't protect him at all. He's mad at himself for not making a big deal sooner, but the league does not like when he criticizes the refs, so he got fined $50,000. I'm sure that's not a big deal, but standing up for your superstar is always good, especially if you want to keep him. I'll tell you what, I think the end, I could be wrong, but the NBA seems to be the most aggressive when it comes to finding their owners when they speak out against uh, the officials. Yeah, I uh, possibly, perhaps. Uh, the other thing is Vice President Pence said takes uh, a trip. Makes it more and more it looks like uh, he is going to be running for president. He went to New Hampshire already, and a move that will spark further speculation. 
He wanted he would go back in early June for a fundraiser. I think soon he's going to be giving some interviews. And the for next stop will be Iowa. I know Rick Scott, Tim Scott have both went to Iowa. I know Tom Cotton seems to be heading that direction. So I think it's interesting. The vice president running, he's not really speaking to the president. Would he run if Trump runs? No way. I think a lot of them are going to drop out if Trump runs. But like Jonathan Swan said, they have to get themselves ready just in case. All right. Now you know more. Uh, by the way, see you tonight at 7 o'clock. I'll also be on with John Robertson about an hour. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Get the podcast at briankilmeadeshow.com. Uh, and, of course, we always would like you to order books at briankilmeade.com. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.